Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, welcome back. Welcome back, Playmakers. You know it's our favorite time of the week, and we love our community so much. We do. We thank you all for being here. If you are new, welcome to this amazing community. You are going to enjoy it so much. We have so many resources across all of our social media platforms, so make sure to check that out in the show notes. Yeah, give us a follow and share with a friend that would be a great fit for the community. We love to grow and have all the friends here. So thanks so much for doing that. And we um, have started a job board. We have. So if you haven't seen on our social media already, we have started a job board on our Facebook group. It has turned into a job board. So if your employer is hiring somebody, even if it's not a remote position, please feel free to fill out the form. I'll put the form in our show notes as well so you can go ahead and fill all that information out and then we can help each other out within this community you know we're constantly moving and having to uproot our entire lives so we shouldn't have to uproot our jobs if we can't Mm -hmm. so we love the remote positions but also some people are looking for something within their local community so it's always helpful to have others in the sports industry to recommend yeah and if you're in our newsletter you know that there's already a spot to click so just click on there and share all of the knowledge that you have we love it so Thank you. Thank you again. And what happened last week? Oh my gosh. I feel like it's been a blur. Mm -hmm. I got my eyebrows microbladed for the first time and they look great. Everyone, they look okay now, (laughs) but you saw me a few days after they were dark. So the first, I guess the first five days is supposed to be super dark. And then I guess it fades out and then kind of flakes away and then comes back to be the color that it's supposed to Mm. be. And then you have to get a touch up. So it's a process and it's, process. you have to have a lot of patience. But the first thing that Drew said to me when it, when he got <laughs> home, so I had covered my eyebrows because it got it had gotten dark at that point. You covered them. And so I covered I'm like, okay, no judgment. Like give me a few days <laughs> to like let him tone down. And then I took my hands off and he was like, okay, it's not bad. He's like, you know, it's just funny because you never had eyebrows before <laughs> And now you do. So it really just draws attention to your face. And I was like, what were you looking at before? <laughs> you know, he tried with the compliment. I yeah. get where he's coming from. He was like, well, your hair is really blonde. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah sure. but blonde with dark eyebrows, that's the thing. Yeah. I'm totally in for it. But I think they look great. I'm totally, I'm totally next on the microblading train. But how long did it take? It took about an hour and a half or so. And that's it, not bad. It was interesting. It felt like a scratch like oh. over and over and over. It was more irritating because it was like, okay, stop. And the sound was really annoying. It sounded kind of like a razor blade. Oh, interesting. Scraping sound. Yeah. So if you're if you're really weird about sounds, maybe bring some headphones. It kind of reminds me of like at the dentist, you know, you're in a very vulnerable state because you're laying down and they're like having a conversation with you and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to say right now. Yeah. Because it's just the way you're laying. Also, I just want to know who came up with microblading. Like, and who was the first yeah. guinea pig? Because yeah. it would not be me. 
I know. I wouldn't be like, let's put some color in there. But when you got home, I'm sure you're exhausted. So did you watch any shows, movies, what you've been? You know, we always watch the shows. We're always about the mm-hmm. the different shows that we've been seeing. So actually, we we suffered through the three-hour Batman. We did. Oh, we man. We suffered through it. How <laughs> is he? Rob, uh, what's his name? Pattinson. The, the, the vampire dude. Pattinson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not good. Not good. Yeah. Christian Bale, just so good for me. I loved he Christian is. Bale. And it was just too long. It did not need to be that long. And really, like, weird and dark. I don't yeah. know. It was okay. It was just not necessary for three hours. I, I mean, that's how I feel with the adventure movies. Nobody come after me. But, like, I get, I'm like, okay, when is the big fight scene? Because that's when we know everything's going to wrap. Yeah. So, I'm like, when are we getting there? Yeah. So, I get that. Yeah. But we've watched a lot of documentaries, as always. We always watch those. Um, we like to binge things. So, we started and finished the Weed Crash series on Hulu, which is really, really good. Yeah, we haven't started that, but we did start the uh, dropout, Mm -hmm. which if y'all have not heard of this case, I am like sucked in. I'm like totally involved in it, but it's about Theranos. And if y'all know what that is, it's a company um, started by a 19-year-old dropout from Stanford. She basically invented this well, tried to, not spoil mm-hmm. alert, um, an invention where you would just prick your finger and that one drop of blood would tell you everything that you need to know medically. Mm-hmm. And it is nuts because this 19-year-old creates this billion-dollar company mm-hmm. and people believe her and it never works. Yeah, it was never like a real thing, which is oh. so mind-blowing. What a great idea, first of all. Yes. But yeah no execution yes and all I mean she had Walgreens in her pocket she had Safeway Walmart I mean Mm -hmm. all these people so yes if y'all have not heard the podcast it's called The Dropout and then it's on Hulu called The Dropout as well so you know that we're always giving you recommendations for shows (laughs) podcasts documentaries so if you need a recommendation please reach out to us but that's not why we're here we're here to talk about our own podcast episode (laughs) that's coming out today so we have been asked several times on instagram to have someone like this on our podcast a referee's wife yep and it is just such an interesting world because honestly going into the conversation i was really confident like i thought i knew what this life was like and I was like you know we're just gonna we're gonna ask some questions I'm already gonna know in my mind but she blew me away there is so much there behind is the so scenes. much yeah I mean some of the things that she talks about like the networking the way how many hours that you have to put in to be certified to do certain sports just the the politics, the politics yeah I was like, whoa well and then what was weird to me it was that you could get selected by this person which who this person has like all this power to select you to be on their team mm-hmm. to ref games and then you pay your dues and then you can never get picked for a game to ref. yeah that blew my mind but we won't ruin or share anymore because y'all have to sit and listen to it but we'll see you on the other side Welcome. You know that it's our favorite time of the week. Y'all have asked for us to find the perfect person to come on and talk about this sport, and we are just so excited. We're excited to have a referee significant other to share their side of things, so we won't say anything else. We'll let her go ahead and introduce herself. Hey, everybody. My name is Whitney Pendle. I live in Greenville, South Carolina. We call it the upstate because it's like the northern part. We just call it the upstate. I don't know why, but it's beautiful here. We love it. It's springtime. It's gorgeous right now. This is a great time to live in South Carolina for sure. I am an office administrator and I'm also a blogger. I blog at comehomeforcomfort.com 
where I seek to encourage women in every walk of life to bring comfort to their home through organization, frugal living, decor, all those kinds of things. I have been married to my husband, Paul, for over 11 years, and he works for BMW. It's a large company, obviously, here, but it's located here in Greenville, South Carolina. He works there, but he is also a sports official. He has refereed for 23 years. So I've never known Paul without knowing him as an official. And he referees for all the way from high school basketball. And then he also does college lacrosse and college volleyball, both on the women's side. He's also refereed uh, division one, all the way to division one um, basketball on the women's and the men's side in the past. Wow. Oh my my gosh. You guys have a lot going on. I feel like that's, that's crazy to have a bunch of different sports. Is that common in the referee world to be able to officiate like different sports like that? It's hard to say, because I only know my husband super well, but as far as the other guys that I know that he works with, most of them do at least two sports. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. Let's back it up a little bit because with that long of time being a referee, let's share a little bit about how y'all met and the beginning to this whole sports industry world. Okay. Yes. We are together because Paul was a referee. So I'm very (laughs) thankful for that. We met actually in college, but he's four years older than I am. So we were just, you know, friends in college, but I, I always thought he was so cute. And I just thought he was really a really great guy. He just was nice. And I just always liked being around him. Six years after I graduated from college, I attended a basketball game here in Greenville, South Carolina. It was a college game. And for some reason I was sitting like on the second row, we had really great seats and pregame. My husband came out as one of the officials and I recognized him and I turned to my friend and I said, I was in college with that guy and he was really cute, but he is way cuter now. And (laughs) he thought the same thing about me, which was so sweet. And he came over to me during the pregame, which he does not do that. He doesn't even wave at me or, you know, during a timeout or smile or anything. (laughs) He came over to me and my friend, he came over and gave me a hug. I'm four foot 10 and he is six foot one. Oh my gosh. Gave me a hug and picked me up off the ground and was really excited to see me. (laughs) And a long story, not very long story short, we were married just over a year later. Oh (laughs) my gosh. I love that so much. I'm just like picturing that moment. That's so cool. (laughs) I love that you added in the height difference. Yeah. (laughs) So with the passion of being a referee, how do you even get started in that industry? Because we know kind of that it all has to do with networking and getting your foot in the door, but I know that you just can't volunteer and be like, I want to be a referee. You have to do training and things like that. So what all entails becoming a referee? Definitely experience. Like you said, you have to start somewhere. So jumping in, my husband started refereeing when he was in high school and then early in college, just doing those junior high elementary school games, really just getting out there. And then it has to do, yes, with networking and who you know and being seen for sure. Something that people don't know about officiating is that it requires fairly large of an investment, both of your time and your finances to be able to become a referee and especially to work your way up into the ranks. So you have to attend a clinic during that, whatever sport it is during their off season, you have to go to a clinic where There are um, the assigners that give you the games. They're watching you and you're usually officiating at a level that's lower than one that you want to work at. So the play is not as good, which makes it harder to, you know, to be a good referee. It really does. 
So you have to work those games and you, the travel and the lodging and the food and all that is on you while you're at this clinic. Wow. And it's not just that you know the rules. It's the way that you look, especially the higher up you climb, the way, the way that you run, the way that your mechanics are, how well you liked you are by the coaches and the players. And there's a lot of politics that go into yeah. you. I would love to dive into that if you wouldn't mind. Like I am so intrigued by the fact that there's like politics and things that go into being a referee. And I know that there's only like a select number of referees per game. It's not like a coaching staff and it's not like a roster. So there's obviously very few spots for these people. So it has to be pretty competitive. So when he first got into this, what was his thoughts and like what was like his mentality to kind of climb the ladder? His mentality was and is to be the best official that he can be for every game. Mm-hmm. He always says like the little kids deserve a good referee just as much as, you know, the guys that are playing the NCAA championship game, they all yeah. deserve his best. So obviously I think that he's a great <laughs> referee, but one thing that's really required is a, a very calm spirit and being able to not let your emotions guide yeah. your decision. Yeah. And I know my husband is really good at that. It's incredible that he can just be even kill things roll off his back. It doesn't fluster him. He's just very calm under pressure, which is definitely necessary yeah. to call game correctly. So that's definitely part of it, but it's just where you are, who happens to see you. You could be working some random game, but somebody could be there just like the scouts for the players. They're being watched by the people yeah. who are signing those games. So every sport is a little bit different. So my knowledge mostly comes from basketball, lacrosse mm-hmm. and volleyball where, where my husband works, but there are different assigners that are handle at each level They're for diff- whatever conference it is. They have a couple different assigners. And so those assigners are the ones who hire people to work you know, for them. But then once you're chosen to, to referee for whatever level it is in that conference, then you have to pay that assigner dues in order to work for them. And they wow. may not give you any games. Wow. My husband, when he was working toward division one men's basketball was accepted into a particular assigners group. He paid the dues and then he never got any games, at least in one conference, wow. but that does happen. And it wasn't that the assigner was trying to be ugly. Just there, there weren't games for him, you know, to work, or he wasn't at the cream of the crop for what he needed or that sort of thing. So they have to pay dues. They have to be available. So something people don't know about a lot of referees, unless they're division one, top of their game, they're probably working another job full-time. As Mm -hmm. I said, my husband works for BMW. He's always worked another full-time job, but they have to have a job that gives them availability to travel, to get to the game early, all that sort of thing. Every assigner has like an online scheduler that they, that they set up and the officials will go in and put on the calendar, block their availability. And then they're only given games on the days they're available. So you have to have flexibility as well. Oh, wow. I That's like, crazy. <laughs> I know. I feel like I just opened up a whole world. I was like, whoa, I had no idea that all of that played into just being able to go rough a game. Like there's so much that goes into it. And I want to go back to one of the first things that you said is how he's even keel, like everything just like rolls off his back. I would have such a hard time with that because one side hates you and the other side is jumping for joy or it's, you know, vice versa. So let's hear a crazy story. There's a lot of those. He did come home recently from a game and he said, no matter how good the play is, I'm always an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Someone's going to be unhappy with the way that, that he calls the game. And the thing that's interesting about referees that, you know, people need to know is that 
they are loyal to the rules. They don't actually care who wins the game. Mm -hmm. And I know that's such a weird concept as sports fans. I'm a sports fan that they don't care who wins. They really love the rules. And so if they really, they want to call the game correctly. Yeah. They don't want to be wrong. They want to call each play correctly. And so at the end of the game, if they've made the right calls, then that's a win mm-hmm. in their minds. They yeah. won because they called it correctly. They don't care who wins. So they don't have a vendetta <laughs> against a certain, you know, they could be, it could be that a coach is really getting under their skin and they're, they're ready. They're like the net in his thinking the next time she steps out of that box, I'm teeing her up. That's it. You yeah. know, that's definitely true, but they don't care who wins the game. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'd be throwing every single person out. I always say that when I'm like watching a game, I'm like, I would throw that coach out. I'd be like, you're, you're done. done. <laughs> like they have to have such patience. I'm sure your husband does. And I feel like the other thing that he would have to do is like not be a sports fan. Is that correct? Because like as he kind of goes up the the ranks, if he's like a fan of a team, I'm sure that would kind of have a bias in the back of his mind. At least I can only speak for my husband, but I know he is not a sports fan of, of a certain team. He right. loves sports. He loves to watch basketball. That's his favorite. We really enjoy watching it together. He enjoys lacrosse and volleyball. He loves to watch sports, but it's, it's odd to me that he can watch a whole game and never, I'll say, so who are you pulling for in this game? And he'll just say, I don't care, you know, but, and that's, he, he really doesn't, but he, it's a weird thing to be able to enjoy the sport and not pull for someone. I can't do that. I always pick. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. When I go to watch him from referee, I always pick a team in my mind. I don't ever, I don't ever move or clap or anything if I'm in the stands. (laughs) And that, that is my, my crazy story. When we were first married, we went to a church league. He was working, you know, so just to pick up some extra money, he went to a church league. I found the worst the play the more outrageous the fans are going to be. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. We read a church league game and I was sitting in the stands naively as a new wife of a referee. And the guy next to me just was hurling insults at him left and right. And I just couldn't take it anymore. As I said, I'm not even five feet tall. <laughs> I turned to that guy and was just let him have it. And he came back at me. And then I was like, oh shoot, I've been <laughs> over my head. So I've learned that I don't sit in the stands. I don't sit. If I do, I sit away up in a corner away from the fans. But normally um, with lacrosse, I usually can sit in the car. That's yeah, the stands uh, of the lacrosse field are kind of weird where it's, you're kind of far away, sort of like in football. You're not really close no matter where you're sitting. I'll sit in the car or I'll just sit up in a corner or at this horse keeper's table because I don't want to sit near the fans. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. So so do you watch him? Like that's so I'm yeah. always so curious about that. Do you watch him during the game instead of like the game? In lacrosse, absolutely I watch him because in all honesty, I do not understand the game and I never know where the ball is. It's just it's just a bunch of girls screaming at each other the whole time. Yeah. He loves lacrosse though, but I I just watch him. It's fun. The longer we've been married, the more I can I know his the way his body language and I can tell, you know, yeah. what's going on or that sort of thing. So I, I enjoy that. Yeah, I just I just watch him. (laughs) I feel like I would too. That's why I asked that question. I was like, huh. Yeah, I would too. Because even with our significant others, when they come out on the field, like for pregame and stuff, we're like looking to see where they're at. But that's so funny because it's like, that's who you're here for is for (laughs) watching him do what he loves to do. I love that. So that is so fun. And I want to talk about the networking aspect a little bit because we chatted about the way that you get placed in different leagues and things like that. But what does networking involve? Is it with community groups? Is it with like organizations? How do you do that networking? It's a little bit different because there's a lot fewer of them really than, you know, a lot of 
players or coaches even really that there's there's not that many of them. They do network in their off-season time in their clinics. There's usually some kind of social event every year at that clinic that you need to go to and kind of, you know, just be there and make an appearance and that kind of thing. And then a lot of the sports have um, like pregame stuff that the officials don't get paid to work. They have to just come to the pregame. If there's a scrimmage at your school and there's officials there, it's possible that they're not being paid. The assigner is requiring them, hey, if you want to work for me, you got to come work the scrimmage for free. So they'll do that, but then they'll also have like meetings before the season starts where they'll talk about the new rules and remind them of things they want to work on or focus on that year. And so there's a lot of networking at those meetings. Um, They do try to carpool if they can, just obviously to save money. And it's, I know Paul really enjoys traveling with the other officials and being able to talk shop with them while they're traveling or after a game. Very often after a game's over, Paul get in the car, he'll call up one of his buddies who is usually a level above him and will say, I've got a, I got a question for you. Can you go back and look at my game here? And they can remember and there. It's incredible to me. He can remember like what the time and maybe coaches are like that too, but they know that there's this much left on the clock and number 47, she was over here. It just, they yeah. know exactly what the play was and they'll talk through it and ask, you know, how did you think I handled that? Was it right? Was it wrong? So they definitely network that way and kind of work through issues if the coach was upset or there was an issue. They want to know what, did I handle that correctly? Could I've done that any better? that sort of thing. There is a, an official who brought lacrosse really into the South here. He brought it into South Carolina and he also coaches. He doesn't referee, of course, in the area where he coaches, but he does both. And he really took my husband under his wing and helped him get, you know, work his way up in the ranks on lacrosse. And so that's why he is a division, a division one lacrosse official on the women's side now, because coach Tucker helped him out. So my husband seeks to do that with other guys as well. He wants to be now that he's been in the sport for seven years, he wants to be able to mentor them. He's always eager to just to be gracious and answer questions and help people think through rules and stuff. He's the guy that if they have a question about a rule, they're going to call him because he knows <laughs> he has the rules all in his head and he can bring up a, a rule quickly and they can talk through it. Wow. I feel like that's so cool. And just watching games and I try to think about everyone else as I'm watching a game just to kind of think about being in their shoes because, you know, we're in this industry. I've kind of realized a lot of people that are outsiders watching the game, they put a lot of pressure and a lot of like their anger on specific people, coaches and referees and players and things like that. And so like you have to think about every single rule and then quickly react And you don't have a second to like breathe and then call what you're going to call. And so I always just like, I think it's so amazing that they can remember all of those things and then also have that like innate ability to just kind of react with the play. So that's awesome that your husband does that. But does he like watch film of himself or like watch games to like (laughs) learn? Because I'm thinking of like the coaching thing you had mentioned that they like know exactly what play and you know who was doing what does he do the same type of thing and kind of learn from his past games yes they actually have a website where they will post all the games I know at least for lacrosse especially they have a website where they they'll go and you can watch all your past games and have discussions about it and that's what it's there for is for them to talk about the different plays and how things were handled and then he'll also he has an app on his phone that he can just kind of clip little plays from those games and then they'll he'll text it to somebody and they'll talk about it for sure so yeah they do watch themselves again only to make sure they call things right or to yeah. work on their mechanics that's really important in moving up 
and being seen by other people is how sharp their mechanics are. They don't want to look like they're lazily running, you know, to the, the free <laughs> yes. throw line or when they're like resetting um, in lacrosse or when there's a timeout or something, they don't want to just be like sauntering around. That's doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like what if a ref just was like taking it sweet times, you know, getting to yeah. the spot, everyone would be yeah. like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I get that. That's crazy though to bring up. Yeah. I want to talk about you though a little bit. So you have a blog and you're encouraging women, all all positive things. So share with us a little bit about that. And then I also want to know how this helped form your identity over time because it sounds like he has a full-time job and then he's also got another full-time job doing the referee life. So with you, how did you find yourself in the mix of all this in the beginning? I definitely have had to learn the importance of my role as a homemaker. I also work, have worked full or a pretty heavy part-time job outside of our home. But I work in an office setting. So I work during daytime hours. And then he kind of, as sometimes worked around those hours. So I really wanted to support what he's doing in what I do when I'm home. And I really have learned one thing that I'm really grateful for in being married to referees that help, has helped me to realize how many other women are married to men who have weird schedules that don't come home when they come home. It's not just in the sports industry, healthcare and salespeople and food service. We're all kind of trying to make things work with weird schedules. So it's made me sensitive to that. And that was one of the reasons that I started my blog, homeovercomfort.com was to encourage women how important it is, no matter what you're doing, if you're married or unmarried, single, if you have kids, you don't have kids, there's a, a role that God has given us. Proverbs says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. I have the power in my own hands to make my home great. And that's really exciting to me that I can have a huge part in Paul's success as an official by the way that I keep our home because he does so many sports pretty much nine months out of the year. He is doing one sport or another, whether it's basketball, volleyball, lacrosse, it's just kind of a pretty much a full-time thing that we're doing. So on the nights that he is gone late, he's not usually gone overnight, but when I come home from work, I could just kind of hang out and chill, or I can keep my routine in our home steady. I can make sure the laundry is done and prep meals and go to the grocery store and all that kind of thing, because those small choices to do the laundry keep our living room tidy at the end of the night. Those make a big difference. And then when he comes in after being yelled at and told what an idiot he was <laughs> all, all night at the game, when he comes in, this is a place that's peaceful. Yeah. And so that's, those are things I talk about on my blog, just ways that through small choices like meal planning and time management and decorating and all those kind of things help us go a long way in making our homes a peaceful place for our families to land whenever they're able to come back in here. And that's what I talked about on my blog. Yeah, I feel like we've heard that actually a few times in the sports industry because everyone has the same experience where their significant others are so crazy or, you know, it's stressful and you don't want them to come home and feel stressed. And it has nothing to do with like you trying to like make sure their lives are better than yours. Like you don't Mm -hmm. want to feel stressed either. And so I feel like you just want to make yourself and everyone else around you feel comfortable. And I think also it just gives you more time to spend together because the, the things that we have learned is that, you know, you do the laundry, you do these things. Then when they get home, you do have that extra time to hang out versus like, oh, well, we have to do the dishes or we have to clean or we have to cook or we have to do all these things. You actually have that time to spend to talk to each other and kind of catch up on your day. And so I love that you've kind of built a momentum around that. That's, that's really beautiful. 
does he want to move up in being a referee? Does he have any ambitions to kind of go to like the professional level? And if so, what does that look like? Because I feel like that would contain some overnights and things like that. I think right now his pursuit is to reach division one lacrosse and have that be consistent, you know, for the next several years, there is a lot of physical strain in lacrosse because it's the most running you do in any sport. I mean, a lot of times he's taking off sprinting across the football field. And if he's going to be the best and the fastest official on the field, which he always wants to do, he's always pushing himself. So he knows in his mind that lacrosse is maybe not a sport he'll be able to do for years and years and years to come. Volleyball, on the other hand, is one that all you have to do is stand up on the top of the stand, you know, wave your arms around. So um, he's (laughs) really pursuing division one college in uh, volleyball and lacrosse. I think if the opportunity presented itself to go any farther than that, he probably would pursue it. And I have always encouraged him to pursue that because I know how much he enjoys it. Yeah. When he comes home from the game, he's just beaming. Most of the time he just really loves it. So it's always, it's always good for me when he is like that too. So, but really his ambition is always to be the best that he can be. He thoroughly enjoys high school basketball and he just really loves the sport. So I think whatever he's able to do, he'll, he'll always try to be the best, but I don't know that there's, I mean, he's 43 years old. So he's, you know, kind of a lot of the officials are maybe 10, 15 years older than he is that are at the the top of their game. So he has a good amount of time still to, to work his way up. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. And those goals are so neat because I feel like you have to genuinely love what you're doing. That is a lot of time invested to be able to keep climbing. We say that too in the sports industry though, that if you look at the peers and mentors that everyone is looking up to that have already made it, they're at the peak in their career. It's they've put in so much time and effort and learnings to get there. And I want to talk about the education piece a little bit because with being a referee, learning all those rules and keeping up with rules change. And so do, I mean, just penalties. I I feel like it's constantly evolving. And so how does he keep all of that straight? Because I would just get in a routine and kind of lose my way. So what do they have to do for required like educational hours? Every year at the beginning of a sports season, he gets a book in the mail. It's a little eight and a half by 11 half sheet statement size book, spiral bound. And it's that year's rules for that sport. And he pours over it. And that's when they go into those preseason meetings where they talk through the rules. And when there are new things, they're going to talk through, they're going to show video of those kind of plays and how they're going to handle it and that kind of thing. So that's that preseason stuff that they that when they work through it and then just studying the rules. And if there's an issue where he, something happens and he can't recall the rule, which I'm not that sure that's ever happened with Paul. He's a really big on the rules. He'll come home and I'll see him, you know, after a game, I will see him open the rule book and kind of reassure himself. Okay. Yeah. I called that right. That's the rule, you know, and then that's where the networking comes in as well. When they call each other on the phone and ask, you know, how does this rule apply in this situation? It's really more just a a one-on-one and he might reach out to his assigner or his mentor, and they can talk through something. That's really, the education is really just at the beginning of the season. Yeah. yeah. That assigner, man, they've got a lot of power, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the end all be all. But <laughs> I want to kind of switch gears a little bit to talk about your adoption journey and yeah. kind of from the beginning, what got you thinking about doing adoption? 
adoption has always been on our hearts. We have always been open to it. We knew going into our marriage that it would be unlikely that we'd be able to have our own children biologically. And we have honestly been very content with that. Of course, with Paul's schedule, it makes it easy that I'm not trying to juggle everything on my own with kids here at home. And we really enjoy being together. We enjoy it being the two of us. But just in the last year, God really put on our hearts that it was it was time to pray about this again. We pursued it in the past and have just never felt like it was the right time and have just kind of moved on from that. My sister and her family, they have adopted twin boys and the last, they've been in our family for five years now. And it has been such an incredible blessing to our family. Just the joy they brought. There's always an element of grief in adoption. It's Mm -hmm. never this beautiful, perfect thing. And there's always hard things in adoption, but the joy that's come with that has just been so incredible. So of course that has played a big part in our um, eagerness to approach adoption. Again, we're very close with, with our nephews and uh, we're excited for what God has done in their lives. But we just in the last, in, since last summer began to pursue the same path of adopting older children who are currently in foster care. So actually just this month, our home study was approved. So all of the paperwork is done, all the home inspections are done, and we are potential adoptive parents waiting for a phone call from a caseworker to say, we have a child or children that we think would be a good fit for your home. When you adopt from foster care, there is very minimal cost. It's not like private adoption. So it's actually super easy to take on, but the caseworkers that are, look, they're looking for homes for the children that are in their care. So we are not coming to them with a list of, this is what we want out of a child. We're just saying, we're here mm-hmm. for a child that you think would, would suit, would be happy in our home. And then they'll, they'll call us with a suggestion. Wow. That's amazing. Yes, that is amazing. And it takes such special people to be able to do that. And so we are just so thankful that you are taking that step and bringing a child into your home. And with the age range that you provide, uh, we actually had just talked on um, an episode, previous episode with foster care. And I know that that is two separate things, which we have learned. But with that age range, what made y'all feel that that was what you wanted? Because with the older ages, it feels like that is in a low demand uh, for people that are wanting to foster or adopt. So why is that? And then what made you decide to choose that age range? We have definitely seen as we have moved forward, we are looking to adopt a child or a group of siblings that are between seven and 16 years old. And when we tell people that the response is often like, oh, whoa, that's, that's crazy. Why would you want to do that? And I know people don't mean that to be ugly when they say it that way, but that's something that I have really seen is how unfamiliar and how afraid people are to open their heart to an older child who needs to be adopted. And it is not because we are heroes or we want to look amazing or we want to rescue children from something. That's not at all what adoption is. Part of it is just, we are not really big on babies. Yeah. I could not tell you the last time I changed a diaper. Yeah. I, that's not, if you, someone comes to me with an infant, I'm never going to offer to hold an infant. Like I'll look at it and tell you how cute she is, but I don't really want to hold her. Uh, so this is just the part we're in the perfect stage of our life. Yeah. And most people our age have children who are about this age range. Right. So it feels comfortable as far as that goes. And we don't want to waste our lives. Like I said, we're very comfortable with the being the two of us, but we want to live for things that matter that are going to last into eternity. And so that's why, because there's a greater need and we feel like we're more comfortable with older children, 
um, not because we're special. That's just kind of what God's put on our hearts. And also the knowledge that we are Christians. And I know that God knew what he was getting into when he adopted me into his family. He gave me a seat at his table and we get to do for these children what God's done for us. And not because we are, we are not their savior, although that's what God did for me. We are able to point them to the savior, the one who's rescued us and given us a seat at at his table and just invite them to come on, come on in and enjoy the love that we have here in our home. We're, we're really excited to be able to do that. I love that. I love the way that you put that too, because it was very real. Not being a baby person is such a real Mm -hmm. thing. I feel like everyone expects every other person to be that, but you know, some people just aren't and that's cool. So I love the way that you put that. And I know that you guys will find the perfect child or children to fit into your home. So that's awesome. But we asked this question at the end of every single interview. So if you could go back in time and tell your younger self, just getting started in this sports industry, one thing that you've learned that you would be happy you knew now, what would that be? I would tell myself it's okay to be the wife who's going to things alone. I've really had to overcome that in the last several years. I don't want to be that wife who's at an event by myself because no one else knows why I'm alone. Is it because my husband didn't want to come tonight? Is it because he, you know, doesn't like people or whatever? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think about me. I think we all struggle with insecurity and wondering what people think about us, but it doesn't matter. And once I have learned, I'm still learning it. It's still a process to be comfortable just doing what I need to do. Even though he's not here, it's okay. I had definitely an idea in my mind of what our life would be like when we got married, that we would always go to things together, even like family events and holidays. So when I'm CS to work, there are sports games on every holiday, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. So somebody's, and it's helped me to kind of connect and empathize with those wives. Every time that we're watching a game and it goes into overtime, I always say to Paul, that referee's wife is really annoyed because <laughs> we're just ready for the game to be over with them to come home. So I would tell myself and, and other wives in the sports industry, it's okay to go by yourself because you're going to have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. I think that you become really independent and you have to be, and it's a lot of growing in the process, but we appreciate you coming on and just sharing your journey and we will keep in touch with you and definitely link everything in the show notes. But if anyone wants to find you, where should they look you up on Instagram so that they can come connect with you? On Instagram, I am at home for comfort. And I will link anything that I mentioned in my profile link so you can find anything there about our adoption journey or about my referee wife life, as I call it, at Home for Comfort on Instagram. That's awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And thank you to everyone that's listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on More Than a Season Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at More Than a Season Podcast for the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, or leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.